It's a great honour and privilege to be up here this morning. It's been a little while, so yeah, I'm just really excited for what God is going to do this morning. So this morning, I have the honour and privilege of being able to speak on the topic of the power of the gospel, which is something that really excites my heart because we serve and we follow an awesomely, amazingly, incredible God who can do so much more than we can ask, think, or imagine, Amen. which is just a really great thing. And there's a lot that he wants to say this morning that I feel like um, he's put on my heart to share with you all. So we're going to start this morning by just looking at just a quick overview of the gospel. It's something that most of us would know. It's very foundational to what we believe and to all of our lives if we choose to follow Jesus. So I'm going to read some very well-known verses this morning that do a great job at summarising the gospel. John 3.16, we all know it. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I'm going to jump to 1 Corinthians um, chapter 15 from verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And the last place we're going to go to summarise the gospel is Hebrews 12 from verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So hopefully these verses are nothing new to you this morning. Hopefully you've heard them all before, because what they share and what they convey to us is the message of the gospel, that Jesus, who was God's one and only son, came to earth, lived a sinless, perfect life, and then he was crucified. He was sent to the cross and he suffered and he took on our sin, he took on our shame so that we could be made right with God. And then on the third day, he was raised to life again to demonstrate the power of of this gospel but also to bring new life for us because what God did when he died on the cross made us right with God we were no longer separated by our sin. He was the perfect sacrifice, blameless and holy. Yeah. And then he was raised to life so that we could have a new life, so that we could also put our sin, our shame, all of that crap that separates us from God, that's all gone, and we have new life in Christ. And so hopefully that's nothing new. Hopefully that's just a reminder of just where we're where we're going to go this morning. That's what God has done for us. And so I'm going to actually start off by sharing a really random story this morning. And it's something that happened to me this week. So my fish died this week, oh. <laughs> which is really sad um, because there's a story there. So I've, I had fish as a teenager, actually. 
I had like a few goldfish and a few other little things here and there. And then eventually, like, because of the work of it, I just kind of got sick of it and got rid of them. But then 18 months ago, I decided I wanted fish again because I really want a dog, but unfortunately living with mum and dad, because, you know, dogs bark and so much work and stuff, like, they wouldn't like me. So I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a pet. I'm going to get my fish. And so I decided to get seven little guppies. So the little fish, they're all, like, different colours. They're really cute. And unfortunately... So I bought seven of them. When I brought them home, within the first month or two, six of them died, which is really sad. But there was one survivor, and the survivor was named Moses Jr. And he was a great little fish. He's yellow, really cute. However, I wasn't the greatest fish owner, I'll admit. You're supposed to change, like, the water, like, every week or so, like, clean the tank out. But little Moses Jr. was lucky. His tank was cleaned, like, every two months. You're supposed to feed them every day. Moses Jr. was often fed like maybe once or twice a week. <laughs> and it got to the point this week where I probably hadn't fed him for a whole week and I went to feed him and unfortunately the little guy was just lying on the bottom of the tank. Oh. So rest in peace. And yeah, it was a bit sad. It was a bit sad and I was faced with the reality that I hadn't been looking after him well and that I could have done a better job of that. But I feel like that's kind of like when God spoke, like the the message that he wants to speak to us this morning. And that is that the power of the gospel this morning, he wants to remind us that it's to bring dead things to life. Like this isn't that Moses Jr. is going to come to life, but he wants us to come alive in him for his glory. And so that's what he wants to remind us of this morning. So we're going to go back to scripture now and I've actually got two people who we're going to take a look at this morning who demonstrate the power of the gospel. So we're going to start with Mary Magdalene. So the gospel doesn't mention like Mary Magdalene like heaps and heaps of times, but there are a few key moments when it, it mentions her. So the first mention of her is pretty early on. There's like a few scriptures, but they all tell us the same thing. And one of those references, if you're interested in taking notes, is... Luke 8, 1 to 3, and it tells us that Mary Magdalene, she was a woman, and before she met Jesus, she had seven demons inside of her. And I don't think we can like fully grasp what that means in our day and age where we don't see the manifestation of the spiritual things in the way that in their cultural context that they perhaps did. And so if we can try to imagine this morning that every single day of Mary Magdalene's life, before she met Jesus, she would have been tormented from the inside. Like she had these things living inside of her that she could not control, that were trying to kill her, that was trying to destroy her, that were discouraging her. These things inside of her that made every single day really, really hard, really hard for her. And then what happens is one day, like, we don't have in scripture the exact like, story of how it happened and how she met Jesus. But, you know, Jesus is probably traveling along and, you know, he sees this woman who has these seven demons and he approaches her and he delivers her of all seven of them, gone, just like that in a moment. She is set free. And I think that's just so incredible that that's what God does is he delivers her, he sets her free. How awesome is God? And 
What we see from this is that it didn't stop there. It didn't stop there for Mary. Unlike, you know, a few other people who didn't even acknowledge Jesus after, like, he performed miracles or healings or whatever it was in their lives, she, she was touched by this. This changed everything for her. She became a follower of Christ, travelling around, following him around, and not only was she just following him, the Bible tells us that she was providing for Jesus and the disciples out of her own means. This woman was using what she had in her hands. She was probably you know, a fairly wealthy woman to be able to do this, but she was using what she had and her life now had purpose and she was following Jesus and she was doing everything that she could to sow into his ministry because she believed in the power of this gospel. It changed her life and she wanted others to experience that as well which is amazing. And what we even see is that even as Jesus, you know, he goes around, he travels around, he does miracles, and then even when it gets to the point when he is to be crucified, even after, you know, the 12 disciples are scattered, like they're not even there at the crucifixion of Jesus, in the hard times in Jesus' lowest moments, the power of the gospel Something about it meant that she was faithful to Jesus. She did not run away. She did not hide when it would have been easier for her to. She risked her own reputation by doing this because she was with the guy who's you know being hung, hung on the cross for the message that he was preaching. She was there and she wasn't afraid and she followed him wherever he went. And we even continue, even after Jesus died on the cross, she was the one of the first people to actually go to the tomb. So after Jesus died, they took his body down, they put him in the tomb, and they like had to leave it for a few days and because the Sabbath and all the things. And so on the third day, Scripture tells us that she goes and she, yeah, let's actually go to the time and do that. Getting ahead of myself a little bit. So we're reading from John from verse 1. Early in the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. So she's just, you know, going there. Her intention to actually see Jesus was to anoint his body. And then she gets there and... Like, it's not what she expected at all. The stone is removed. And so she, like, freaks out. She goes to tell the disciples. And Peter and John come. They're running. They have, like, their little race. And they get there. And what happens, summarising the next few verses in that chapter, is they get there. The two disciples, the men, they, like, go in. They see the tomb. They see Jesus' body is, like, gone. There's the linen that's just lying that he was wrapped in. It's just lying like on rocks and stuff. And once the guys have like gone and checked it out, like scripture tells us that um, the, then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So the disciples, they went there, they checked it out, and then they just left. Mary, on the other hand, we're going to continue with scripture. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, 
one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. So what we see from this chunk of scripture is that Mary's still there at the tomb. She's confused. She's grieving. She's hurting. She has no idea what's going on. She, you know, when you kind of get in that state of like not really a bit emotional, sometimes you like forget everything. She's forgotten like all what Jesus has said. And at that point, no one really knew what was going to happen. Like no one, none of the disciples, none of Jesus' followers really knew what to expect and what was going to happen next because their Savior had died. And at that point, they didn't want that to happen and they didn't understand and Mary kind of fell into that category. But what we see and what I love about this, that in her grief, in her pain, in her sadness, she sees two angels who appear and then Jesus himself appears to her. He comes near to her when she is grieving, when she is struggling, when she is in her moment of her distress. Jesus shows up. And he is raised from the dead. He is raised from the dead. And this is like how amazing our God is, that he like actually raised from the dead. And sometimes we might think like, oh, you know, I'm really struggling. I can so far from God. But that is not the truth. When we feel that way, he draws near to us. Yep. He shows up in our moment of pain yep. and he is there and he comforts us. And at this point, you know, after that, Jesus goes and tells her to, like, go and, like, tell the others that I'm raised from the dead. But, like, things still didn't make sense. Jesus was just, like, there after he died. And, like, what does all this mean? Like, and he's just he's just there. And sometimes, like, that's all we need is just, like, Jesus to be there. We don't need him to explain everything and be like, oh, this is my plan, this is my purpose. You know, later on I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, blah, blah, blah. No, he just shows up and he's there and he's present and sometimes all we need is his presence in our pain and that will make it okay and that will get us through. We're going to now go to the second person who we're going to look at and we're going to go to Luke chapter 7. And we're going to start from verse 11, and I'm just going to read this one through, and then we're going to come and talk about it. So from verse 11 in chapter 7 of Luke. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. When he went up and touched the bier, they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country.
Wow, what a story. It's pretty incredible. And so what we see in this little chunk of scripture, this little golden nugget, it's a story like, and what I think is incredible is like we don't even know the names of this pe- these people. We don't know the widow's name. We don't know the name of the son. Like they're just people who, you know, happen to encounter Jesus, which is awesome. And so what we see is Jesus is just travelling along as he does with his disciples preaching the gospel and he's entering a new town. And I don't know about you, but when I'm like going to a new place for the first time, I'm like, where's a good coffee? Where am I staying tonight? Like, what am I going to do? Where am I going to eat and sleep? And Jesus is just like approaching the town, going along. And what he sees is approaching is that there's a funeral going up. And I don't know about you, but like if that was me, I'd just be like, oh, cool, they're doing their thing, get a respect them, and just like maybe go around a different way or something. <laughs> but no, that's not Jesus' way. That's not his style. And so what Jesus does is he interrupts his funeral, he just walks up, and he, like, the people are, like, carrying the dead body, and he just, like, touches it, which is, like, what? He interrupts his funeral, he stops the funeral in its process, and, like, it's because he sees the people. He sees the people who are affected by this, and, you know, there's a large crowd there who are witnessing, like, this funeral. And what he, what I love as well, like so many things about this story, is that the mother of the man who had died, he knew her. He didn't go up to her and go, hey, whose funeral is this? Like he saw her and Jesus being Jesus, having the Holy Spirit and being God and knowing everything, he knew that this woman was a widow. So she already experienced pain and loss and she was, you know, she already had some tough times. And now this was her only son. This was her only son. And in this cultural time, this was so significant because, like, the man would, like, always provide for, like, the woman and the family. And being a woman in this time, like, without a man in her family to provide for her, her future was so unknown. Like, she wasn't just grieving her son who she loved. She was losing all of her stability and, you know, she didn't know where her next meal was coming from. Like, this was the reality of this woman. She was losing everything. But Jesus goes and he sees and he knows her and he goes up and he's moved. He's moved by the circumstances of this woman. He sees her suffering and her pain and everything she would have been feeling in that moment. And he raises the dead man to life. He brings him back to life. Because he sees his people and he loves his people. And what I love too is the crowd, the response of the crowd. They actually go, whoa, hang on, who is this dude who just came and raised his guy from the dead? And they praise him. And I'm going to quote this because it's incredible. The people say, God has come to help his people. Because all they knew up until this time was the God of the Old Testament the God of justice, you know, who came sometimes and who did miracles sometimes, but, you know, they knew, all they knew was like rituals to get right with God. But what they actually saw in that moment was God came down to them where they were at, in again, in their pain and suffering, and Jesus raised him to the dead. He brought him back to life. Yeah. That is God. That is God. Yeah, yeah he's incredible. I'm going to go off my notes now because this, we're getting to the good part. And, like, we can read these stories sometimes in Scripture and we can go, you know, 
Like, that's awesome. Like, God can do that. Like, he's amazing. But, like, what about me? What about here and now? This was, like, 2,000 years ago. Like, what about here and now? And I want to testify this morning that this same God who raised people from the dead and who brought new life to people in the Bible is the same God that we serve here and now today. That is who he is. And so I'm going to share a little bit of my story with you of actually how I came to Catalyst. Some of you may know it already, some might not. It's cool. So I came to Catalyst, oh, I think it was eight and a half years ago. I'd been a Christian for six months. I was 17 years old. And I came in and, like, I came to youth because, like, youth was, like, the thing that I was going to really at the time. And I came to youth and I'd probably been coming to youth here for probably, like, two or three weeks. Two or three weeks before, like, my life changed and I found out that I'd had an old friend who I'd previously gone to school with who'd committed suicide. And for me, in that moment, like, that was that was really hard. Like, up until that point, my life had been, like, not easy, but, like, pretty fairly smooth, I'd say. And here I was, you know, young 17-year-old girl, fairly been a Christian for very long at all, and... I was still figuring things out. I was figuring out my identity, who God was, and then this this event happened, and it made things like so hard. And it led to, for me, it led to a lot of hard times, and it led to depression, anxiety, panic attacks, self harm. All of these things were things that I kind of went through for the next year and a half. I went through these things, and eventually. God came and he brought me out of that and I overcame that. And it wasn't a one-off encounter. What it was was just slowly God over time giving me the tools, showing me my purpose, showing me my identity, teaching me about the God that he was, helping me to not be afraid of what I was feeling and helping me to understand that he was greater than what I was feeling. And he set me free. And Another massive part of that journey was he brought me to this place. He brought me to this church because it was the love of the people at the church in the time that ultimately, I believe, brought me to my healing. I had never experienced that kind of love before. You know, I hadn't grown up in a Christian household. My family loved me as well as they could, but they were limited because they didn't know him. His love changed my life and it set me free. And it was in this place, guys. It was in this place. And I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one who's come to this place and found freedom and wholeness. This is who we are, guys. This is the call that God has on this church, is to be a place where people can come and set people free, to bring them to wholeness, to bring them to healing. This is our identity. It's in our name. We are Hope Revolution Church. That is what he has called us to do and to bring to the people around us. And so this morning, I feel like God wants to remind us of that, that that is our calling as a church and as a body. However, I feel like this morning that before we are able to go out and to bring that freedom and wholeness to those outside of the church, he wants to do a work in this room this morning. Yeah. I have a really strong sense that um, the past season, it's been hard. 
with COVID and individual circumstances, like we've all gone through just some really tough stuff. And I feel like this morning God wants to say to us that he sees it and he knows it. He knows it's been hard. But he's saying this morning that today, now's the time that he wants to bring those dead things to life in us as individuals and in us as a body. He loves us, he sees us, and he knows us. And now's the time for us to move. Now's the time for us to be seeking him. He's reaching his hands out and he's saying, guys, come on, I love you. I love you so much. I send my son. Let me set you free. Let me bring you back to life. Because there's so much more. There's so much more that he wants to do in our lives and the lives of the community around us. He wants to break chains. He wants to set the captives free. And that includes us. That includes us. And I know for me, the first six months of this year, I would have said, yeah, I'm not really in that place. But really, what I was living in was survival mode. Because of COVID, all the lockdowns, not knowing what the future held, I was in survival mode. I was numb. I was kind of just going through the motions. And I feel like there might be some people in this place this morning who are in that place and kind of just going along. But God's saying, no, no, come to me. Be vulnerable with me. Open your heart up to me again because he wants to come and touch our hearts. And so what we're going to do is because I believe this is really significant is we're actually going to go into a time, um, a bit of ministry time. We're going to have some people up the front. And if any of this resonates with you this morning, I want to encourage you, don't, don't leave this place without acting. God is here and he wants to move this morning. He wants to meet with you and he wants to bring the dead things to life. This is who we are. This is what we're called to. And God loves us so much. He wants to meet us in that place. And so I just really want to encourage you guys, don't let this go. Step into what God has for you. There is more. There is more he wants to do, more freedom, more hope. And so I just want to pray. Lord, we just come before you right now and we just want to thank you. We thank you for the power of your gospel to change hearts, to change lives, Lord, that you want to set people free. And so, Father, as a church this morning, we come before you and we want to open ourselves up to you, Lord. We want to open our hearts to you. We want to give our hearts to you. As we've sung this morning, God, our hearts are yours, Lord. We want to be surrendered. And so, Father, would you just come in this morning? Would you come? And, Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would show each one this morning, each person in this room, would you show us the things that are currently dead inside of us that you want to bring to life, whether it be dreams, whether it be visions, whether it be, you know, a ministry idea, um, whether it even just be hope for your family. Father, would you please come and would you please breathe life, breathe life in Jesus' name over us as a body this morning, I pray. Amen.